Well, good morning, ladies. Welcome to Bible study. So glad you're all here. We're going to do a fun little exercise before we get started. So if you could stand up and scoot to the middle and forward, we would just love that so much because we're friends here. We like being cozy and close to one another. So if you can move in that way as people are coming in late, it's easier for them to find seats. We would just love that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Way to lead out. All right, so we've got a couple of announcements for you all this morning. The first one is that next week we are having our all-group lunches. And so we will have box lunches for you to order. The link is going to get emailed to you all today so that you can go ahead and sign up online if you want one and purchase one. Um, We're going to do two different types of sandwiches, so you'll have a choice on there for which one you want to do. So it'll really just be a great time for you with your small group to get to know each other even better and just have some great time to hang out together. So that... um, the deadline to order your lunch is going to be Thursday night of this week. So get that email, get on it right away, and order your lunch so that we can have fun together next week. And the next announcement is that we are going to be starting a Thursday night study. So if you have any friends who have wanted to be involved in Bible study but can't come on Wednesday morning, or if you just want to do an additional study, you are welcome to join us. So that's going to start February 25th. We're going to go through the book of Exodus, not Exodus, that's what we're doing here, Esther, another ebook, um, And that's going to be from 7 to 8.30 on Thursday nights. There will be training grounds, so invite your friends, come. It's going to be a great time together. All right, now we're going to do our memory verse. So if you can pull out your cards, and we will go through that together. All right, here we go. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, so that your has you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or deals according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children... So does the Lord show compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field. Great job, ladies. It's just so encouraging to hear 
all of us speak scripture like that together. And so just encourage you to keep working on that verse and trying to memorize it. And we will have fun prizes at the end of the semester. So I'm going to pray for us. And then Alicia is going to come and teach. Father God, we thank you so much for today and just the opportunity to come and gather as women and dive into your word. Lord, we thank you that it is living and active and that it is profitable for teaching and reproof and righteousness. And so, Lord, we just pray over Alicia as she comes and teaches that you would speak through her, that you would give her the words to say, and that we would have open hearts and open ears to hear from you this morning. God, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for sending Jesus so that we could be free. And I say all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, howdy. Howdy. How's that for a Texas greeting? (laughs) I was uh, in my bedroom last night, and my little boys were taking a shower together and playing with their toys. They still do that, which is really cute. Um... And all of a sudden I overheard this and they didn't know that I was listening to him. And my oldest said to my youngest, he said, you know what? I just really feel like Satan doesn't want me to share these toys with you. (laughs) And I was waiting to hear my, my youngest son's response. And he said, well, just don't listen to Satan. Listen to God. (laughs) And then he goes, this is my three-year-old almost four. He goes, I hate you, Satan, you booty. <laughs> and you know what? I, I, uh, I've been sick with a stomach bug the last three days. And um, actually, half of my family's had a cold, and half my family's had the stomach bug, and started feeling some drain, drainage on top of spending half my day in the bathroom yesterday. And I wanted to tell Satan the same thing that, you know, um, I, I'm not going to listen to you, Satan. I'm going to be here this morning. And if you're going to fight me that bad, that you're going to let something come upon me, two things that I'm going to fight back with the Lord's strength. And so I'm here this morning, and I can't wait for um, what he's about to show us through Exodus 20. And I am just so encouraged that y'all are here and faithful, knowing that we're going to talk through the civil law, okay? Um, the civil law. But you know what? Liz is right. Second Timothy three sixteen through 17. All scripture is God breathed and is useful and profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God will be useful for every good work. Okay. So, all right, let's get started. Um, because this is kind of a heavy topic this morning. I started, I thought we would start out with a couple of slides of Moses humor at his expense. Um, This one I liked, it says, you'll get the next 10 commandments via a swipe gesture. And that's, I guess, if Moses was um, getting his 10 commandments today, because our tablets look somewhat different. Um, And then the next one I loved, I saw this and it's the Holy Bible. It's a signed copy. (laughs) And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, I'm sure it's really a signed copy. But if you see one of these, would you please pick one up for me? Because I would love that. Um, yeah, that was good. Okay. Um, go ahead and turn with me um, to Exodus 20, verse 22. And um, we are going to talk through the book of the covenant this morning. Uh, this is the civil law. We're still at Mount Sinai, believe it or not. And the people have just received the Ten Commandments, as Meredith talked about last week. And now they're getting ready to receive the Book of the Covenant, which is God's rules and regulations to help govern his people. 
Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to talk through this, and then what I'm going to do is take a step back, and we're going to talk about the purpose of the law, God revealed in the law, and then what I would like to do, because the law can be kind of confusing for us, I want us to visually, I'm going to draw out a visual representation of the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and then the new covenant for us, so that we can kind of more firmly grasp what the law means, its purpose, and then what it means for us today. And so what I want you to do is I want you to stay engaged with me, stay focused. I coach a uh, kindergarten girls basketball team, and I tell my girls this before every practice. I say, okay, girls, I need you to stay focused with me for 45 minutes, and this is really hard for five- and six-year-old girls. I say you can be as goofy and as silly and listen to as many Taylor Swift songs as you want afterwards, but I need you to stay focused with me. So I'm going to ask you guys to do the same thing. I want you to stay focused and engaged because I think what we're going to do is we're going to not just scuba di- we're not just going to snorkel. We're going to go deep, and we're going to scuba dive this morning, and I think we're going to find some good treasures if you can hang with me. Okay. So the law, the first thing I'm going to ask you, and I want you to ask yourself, is what are we referring to when we say the law? And I think it's a good question, because maybe you would say, well, Alicia, I think that the law is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Or maybe it's Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, because we're not going to include Genesis, where the Abrahamic covenant is, that he, the covenant that God gave to Abraham, um, which would also be the Mosaic covenant, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's what Moses received for the people of Israel. Or maybe it's what Jesus referred to when he said the law was the law and the prophets, which would be the whole Old Testament. There's also what we call the works of the law, which... Paul clearly said is not something that we are under anymore. And this can get confusing because there's all these definitions of the law. The works of the law meaning a legalistic understanding of the law. In fact, Romans 6.14 says you are not under the law but under grace. But Romans 3.31 says do we not then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So you see how this can be kind of confusing, right? And so what I would love is for us to actually have a firmer grasp of what we're talking about when we refer to the law. And I hope this is a huge subject. It's huge. But I hope maybe we can just plant a little seed in the back of our mind that might be able to grow as you guys think and meditate and dwell on the word of God into maybe a big tree of insight for you. Because this is the foundation of what we believe. Okay. So what is the law? For the purpose of today, I'm going to say the law is the Mosaic covenant. It's what Moses received from God for the people of Israel at this time. Okay, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You guys following with me here? Okay. Now, this is important, okay, because this was given for the people of of Israel. It was not specifically given for us. The Ten Commandments, believe it or not, were not specifically given for us. And before you leave the room on that, hold on to, hold on to that for a second, okay, because I'm going to go back to that. But I think it's good that we understand that the Mosaic Covenant was not given specifically for us under the New Covenant. 
Okay, hold on to that thought. Meredith went through three aspects of the law. Um, and I have a slide here last week. Now, this is broken down into three parts. The moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. Now, this is not in your Bible. This is man-made sectioning for, so that we can understand the law a little bit better. The moral law, also called the mishpatim, is the law revealing the righteousness of God or describing the general rule of right living that leads to and promotes the welfare of those who obey. Okay, so if you can imagine moral law being a reflection of God's holy character and nature, these laws will not be changing, okay? They're going to be unchanging in nature because God himself is unchanging. These are common sense. Okay, so we know it's our common sense not to murder someone, not to envy, not to steal, not to lie. These make sense to us, okay? They're unchanging in nature. Now, what I'm going to tell you, I want you to hang with me here, is that we have, God has given us under an umbrella of a universal moral obligations that we, are, that we follow for all time, for all people. So these moral laws would fit under the umbrella of universal moral obligations. These are, these are connected to God's holy character his holy nature, and are unchanging. Let me give you an example. Today, you may have someone come to you and say, well, Alicia, why do you eat shrimp? And why do you mow your lawn all the way around and not leave an edge of it? But you say that homosexuality is wrong. What, do you, what am I going to say? What are you going to say to that? Or Meredith, you have a golden doodle dog and Belgian linen curtains, but you're, but you're saying that it's wrong for two men to get married. Like, you're, aren't you just picking and choosing from the law what you want to adhere to? How are you going to answer that? And I think it's important that we understand the moral law, the differences in what we're talking about here. So let me try to explain it this way. If we are under this umbrella of universal moral obligations, then that specifically, that, that idea of homosexuality is a moral code that is consistent with the New Testament, is reaffirmed in the New Testament under the New Covenant for you and for me. Not because it's part of the Mosaic Covenant. None of the Mosaic Covenant are we under. Okay? But there are parts, including nine out of ten of the Ten Commandments, that fit under the umbrella of those universal moral obligations. And we are absolutely under that because it is defining the character and unchanging nature of God. Is that making sense to anybody? I told you we are going to go deep really fast. Okay, so moral law. Yes, absolutely. There are certain things that we are abiding to in that. But these laws were not written specifically for us. Okay, civil law. Now, this is the book of the covenant. This is what you hopefully read through this week. And these are all the statutes that God gave to help govern his people. So would they be for us? No, they would not be for us. We are under the civil law of our country, the United States, but they were given to the people 
for that time in their place for God to govern them. And what we will see about this is that the people were familiar with with different codes of different countries in the ancient Near East. So this was not something abnormal for them. These laws were not out out of nowhere. But God tweaked them a little bit according to his character. And we're going to be able to see some of that as we, as we walk through how the civil law revealed some of God's character. And then we have the ceremonial law. And this is the law primarily regarding the major religious observances and practices of the nation. Now, Because Jesus came and paid the ultimate sacrifice, we do not need to abide by the ceremonial law anymore. This law is no longer in place for us. And these laws don't make sense for us. Okay? They're the things like, you know, cutting your beard a certain way or... um, like I said earlier, that you have to leave some of the, your yard unmowed. And there's reasons that he did that. He was setting his people apart as his nation, distinct and different. And when we walk through the purposes of the law, you guys are going to be able to see the reasons that he implemented some of these ceremonial laws that just don't make sense. Not like do not murder, right? That makes sense to us. These things don't. Okay, so these are the ceremonial laws. And like I said, you will not see this breakdown in your Bible. These, these are what we have done as, as humans, as people, to help us understand different aspects of it. Okay, moving on. Um, we're going to talk now about the purpose of the law specifically. Um, I've came up with quite a few in my study over the last couple of weeks, and, and you may have different ones, um, but this kind of highlights it. Don't feel like you have to write all these down, but I just want you to get... Um, a general idea of what God was doing with this. Because by the way, like I said, it kind of doesn't make sense that God would implement the Abrahamic covenant, salvation by faith in Genesis, and then take us to the Mosaic covenant. I mean, why did he do that? Why didn't he just go from the Abrahamic covenant to the new covenant when Jesus came? Okay, so it's important for us to understand the purpose of this. Number one, to reveal the holy character of God. Like I said earlier, the moral law is going to do this. This is unchanging. Okay, to set apart the nation of Israel as distinct from other nations. We talked about that. Reveal the sinfulness of man. This is a big one. Okay, Romans 3, 19 through 20. I don't have that verse up for you, but it basically says at the end, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So lived perfectly, the law would lead to righteousness. It could not be lived perfectly. There are 613 statues that we are not capable. They were not capable of living perfectly. So it revealed the sinfulness, the fallenness of man. It provided forgiveness to the sacrifice offerings by faith. By faith. And this is going to be really important that you guys recognize that the Mosaic Covenant was not inherently different from the Abrahamic Covenant or the New Covenant. This was not a, a, a set of laws for people to earn the favor or the salvation of God, to not earn their righteousness. And I don't know if you've thought about that way. Maybe you thought that, well, the people adhered to the law so that they could earn favor with God. And, and that's, that's wrong thinking. It was by faith that they were to do these things, that they were to be obedient. And so Hebrews 10.4 is a key verse. Please write that reference down and go back to that. It says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible. 
So why in the world would he have Aaron, the high priest, sacrificing day after day after day if it was impossible for them to take away the sins? Have you guys thought about that? There's a bigger picture going on here. It provided a way of worship for the people through yearly feasts. Um, I, I gave you guys a handout that you have of the feasts that were implemented for the people of Israel that God encouraged them with. And three of them in your reading were mentioned. And I'm, I'm briefly going to go through this because it's just so cool. Um, so God implemented the Passover. You guys are familiar with that. And then he says, I want you to go back to the tabernacle. I want the men and the women and children can go as well for three more feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this is when um, they would take the unleavened bread and um, they would eat this, representing the burial. And there's, there's scripture references here. Feel free this week to go through it, to read through it. It's really neat, the anti-type, what it, what it represents. So unleavened means the leaven was considered sin. And so an unleavened bread would consider Jesus Christ perfect without sin. Okay, so that was the day after Pas- Passover that they would celebrate the unleavened bread. Three days later, does this ring a bell? Three days later would be the feast of first fruits. So this is when the high priest would take the wheat sheaf and he would wave it around, okay? And this would represent the resurrection of Christ. Now they didn't know this at this point. God was just asking them to do this. This didn't really make sense to them, but it makes sense to us now kind of in our life, right? Like when things don't make sense, but they make sense later on. This is what God was doing. We see three days later representing the resurrection. And then they had this gap of time, the seven Sabbaths, 50 days. And then what would happen is they had this feast of ingathering, which was later known as Pentecost. And they would take the wheat and they would mill it. And then they would make two loaves of bread. Okay, two loaves of bread. Now these were loaves. So they were leavened. So what it's representing is not Christ who is, who is sinless, but the church. And we still have sin, right? And there was two loaves representing the Gentiles and the Jews that would form the church. And the priests would wave them in the air along with some other uh, sacrifices and offerings that were made at that, at that time. But when we go back and look about this gap from the resurrection to when this happened, we can see that what it's representing is the Holy Spirit at Pentecost coming upon the church. It's a beautiful representation of what would happen. And then we're not going to go into it. So Christ fulfilling this in his priestly role in his first coming, and we're seeing a gap between the spring and the fall representing the church age or the age of grace. And I'm not going to talk about the fall feast because that's not really talked about in our reading, but you can go back and read through um, all the references here and what this can possibly represent. Um, It's really fascinating. In fact, it's thrilling to see what God has done in everything throughout Exodus. This is just one thing. I love it. And I hope it stirs your affection towards Christ. And I hope it makes you trust him more knowing our God has this figured out. He has this plan and everything is perfect when you look at it. Okay, so going back to our chart on the purpose of the law, um, not only is it to implement a way of worship for the people through yearly feasts, um, 
but also uh, for the proper altar protocol. And we're going to talk about that later, the proper way to worship him at the altar. Um, Number six, it established the principle of sowing and reaping. So the idea of if you live according to my law, if you're obedient to my law, things will go well with you. If you don't, it will not. And so we're, we're seeing this, this uh, theme. Number eight, the efficacy of a st- substitutionary sacrifice. And that's a, that's a big word, but basically it was saying that when, when they were sacrificing, we're going to get more into this later, they, they were sacrificing at the altar. Um, it, they were understanding something day in and day out, that what covers their sin is blood, the life blood of the innocent, which later on we'll see in Christ Jesus was the ultimate substitution for our sins. Okay, so we talked about the purpose of the law. Are you guys following with me here? Is that making sense? Kind of. Okay, good. Um, Now we're going to move on to the revelation of God in the civil law or the Mosaic covenant. Um, Reveal is one of our big themes uh, as we're walking through Exodus. And I would love for you guys to turn back to page 85 in your, uh, in your books. And I don't know, we haven't done a great job of, of like writing through the character of God as we see him um, throughout this Bible study, but I would love for you to do that here. Lesson 12 is where we're at, page 85. Okay, so these are just a few things. This is not an exhaustive list. As you went through your reading, I'm sure that you came up with several things that you felt like this reveals the character and heart of God. Okay, the civil law. Yes, it's the civil law and it it can seem kind of dry, but man, like if we really pay attention, like God God is revealing himself in his word here. He is just, he is compassionate, We see that he even says that, verse 27, holy and set apart. We talked about that. Um, In different different verses, if you read through the goat and the mother's milk and and all that's kind of confusing, like what is God trying to say? Like it doesn't make sense. Almost everything that he's doing, he's trying to set his people apart. And in context of the nations around Israel, it was doing things differently than they did. Okay? Um, And so we also see, and this is a big one, Um, that he comes first, his exclusivity. And I want us to stay here for a second and talk about this. So the civil law, if you notice, the book of the covenant um, started after a pericope of how God was to be worshiped at his altar. And so if you guys read through that, and I read through that, I paused for a little bit on a couple things. One, he says, when you build this altar, by the way, I'm going to let you build an altar in remembrance of me. When God does something, when he reveals his name, when he manifests himself, it's okay to remember him in those moments. But he told the people, you can build an altar to me when I cause my name to be remembered. But the way you do it, I want you to be very careful He's like, I don't want you to do it as the people in Egypt did and the people in Canaan do. I want you to build it out of unhewn, uncut stones. And I don't want steps so that the priests can come up in their nakedness and do it. It's not about you. It's not what you do to add to your coming before me. You can't do anything to come before me. This is all about me, not about what you do. And this is going to be important as we think through our ability to come before the throne, 
has nothing to do with our works or how good we are or our obedience. And so they were unhewn, uncut stones. And then he says, I don't want you to have idols set before you alongside me of gold or silver. And, and so the people were used to that. We, we talked about the idols, didn't we, in, in Egypt. They were coming out of that. But for you and me, you may not have a golden statue of your dog or, or your cow or whatever sitting in your kitchen. I don't have that. So I could easily say, well, that's, I'm good with that. I don't, I don't have my idol next to my Bible. But let me, just, let me just say something here. I think that it is pretty applicable to me because I do have idols in my life that come alongside God sometimes, actually often. And one of them for me is the approval of man. You guys, I want you to love me. I really do, even though I'm not perfect. It may come as a surprise, but I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm really, I, my community group would say that they're the first ones, or, or Jason, he's the one who bought me this. Actually, no, I'm just kidding. It was my kids. Um, no, but it, here's the thing is like, I, I, I do have idols that I constantly and, and having to be aware of going, you know what, that they're, they're trying to vie for my affection and my attention, seeking the approval of man, seeking comfort, you know, seeking, um, seeking the pe- pe- people pleasing, I mean, these are things that I struggle with on a continual basis, worry, fear, or, or maybe it's um, uh, how I decorate my home or what I wear. But these are things that can consume my mind that I have to be aware of. Anything that's consuming my mind more than Christ could be my God of, of gold or my idol of silver. And that's what God is saying. Proper worship before me has to start with me. Our horizontal relationships with others are all dependent on our vertical relationship with God. This is why I believe God puts these laws in first in his Ten Commandments and why again in Exodus 20, the book of the Covenant, he makes sure that you understand your relationship with me at the altar has to come first. And this may play out in your marriage. It plays out in my marriage or in community group. And we've had some issues in our community group where we've, we've uh, even last summer, we were struggling through a lot of things. And I realized for me, like, you know what? I can, I can have all the right things and methods and protocols to how to work through this conflict. But unless I am at the altar and I'm, I'm giving it all to him and I'm abiding in him and I'm in his word and I'm praying, like it, it's not, my flesh is gonna overpower that. My idols are going to overpower that. It has to start with my relationship with him. And it's amazing how then all the other horizontal relationships in my life will just work out. And so I don't think it was by accident that he brackets the book of the covenant with our relationship with God. And then we also see that he values order in the family, authority, sanctity of life. This was a big one too, by the way. Um, 
and and you guys worked through this in some of your in some of your studying this week. But what is the sanctity of life? It's God says in Genesis one twenty six that we were made in the image of God, the imago Dei. What does that mean? There is value in and within us because we are made like God. We are not God and we are marred by sin. Absolutely. But there is an essence of us that carries the attributes of holy God. God is not person. He is not flesh. It says he is spirit. But he has volition and will and emotion and, and, and a spirit that we have. And so God was trying to say in all these civil laws, listen, I value you more than animals. I value you more than anything else. And so when you murder, when you do these things to my people, when you oppress them, sex, slavery, trade, oppression, all these things matter because you are made in my image. We even see the sanctity of life in utero when there's two men, and I'm trying to imagine this, but like there's two men fighting and it's like Randy getting up here and and like trying to like stop them. And then somehow it causes, it says it causes her to lose her baby, but meaning, and depending on your translation, meaning not that the baby dies, but that she has the baby and that the baby survives and is fine. Well, the penalty then according to the scripture, is that he would be fined. The, the, the person who, who um, attacked the baby would be fined. But if the baby, something happens to the baby, then the penalty is just like it would be for the mother. It would be death. And so we see that God values the life inside just as much as he would on life on the outside. And so we're seeing God's heart in all of these things. And then finally, the value, he values the times of remembrance and worship. And we already kind of talked through that. Okay, so hopefully you have a little bit better gauge and idea of the purpose of the law. I'm going to take a step back now. Um, and I, want, I would like for us to kind of draw out visually how the law fits in, the Mosaic covenant fits into the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant. So if you want to take out your blank sheet of paper, and just so you know, I am not an artist. Um, I'm going to do my best here, but uh, I am not an artist. But this is great, because I, do we have any other visual learners in here? Okay, yay. Okay, because I, I feel like this kind of helps us wrap our brain around what God is doing here um, with the law. Okay, on the far left corner of your page, I, got, I want you guys to write out the Abrahamic covenant. And then draw a circle around it like this. Okay, the Abrahamic covenant was implemented, given to Abraham in Genesis 12. Okay, and then confirmed in Genesis 15 when he passed through the cut animals, the blood, to confirm his covenant with his people. This is a one-way Binding means that it is forever and it is a unconditional covenant. 
one-way binding unconditional covenant between God and his people. Okay, and the covenant was land. He was going to give Abraham and his descendants land, which they are about ready to inherit in the promised land, seed and blessing. Seed would be the descendants and the blessing would be for all the nations. Okay, so this is the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis. Now, this covenant was based, salvation and righteousness was based on faith. They were going to trust God in this. We're going to draw a modified bridge, if you guys are familiar with the bridge here. This is man. I'll get out of the way here in a second. Man. And this is holy God. Okay. So this is where we're at. Down here, I would like for you to write the mosaic covenant. And circle that. Now, the Mosaic Covenant was a two-way conditional, meaning if they were obedient, it would go well for them. If they were not, it would not. Conditional, temporary. It was not meant to last covenant. Now, I want you to write in the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant here. It was to reveal sin, set the people apart, and those nine things that we talked about. And one big thing I want us to remember is that it allowed fellowship. Because if we go back to Adam and Eve, God has always wanted fellowship with his people. Okay? This was his goal from day one, his fellowship with you and me. And he knew what needed to be done to allow fellowship was what he, why he implemented the Mosaic Covenant. You remember, they're already redeemed. He has already brought them out of Egypt, as Meredith shared last week. This was not unto salvation. The Mosaic Covenant was not meant to merit salvation. It was not a job description of how they were to earn righteousness. It was a way for them to have fellowship with God, offering these sacrifices, being set apart. Now, the Mosaic Covenant was good because of this. Draw a little smiley face, okay? Um, Romans seven twelve, Paul says that it is good and holy. We also have um, Psalms 19. The whole psalm talks about how amazing the law is, Psalms 119 as well. And then we have First Tim, First Tim 1, 8 through 11. The Mosaic Covenant, the law in and of itself is 
good. What did it do? The Mosaic Covenant revealed the gap here, the sin gap. And I'm going to write sin gap. Okay, but what cursed the law, what cursed the Mosaic Covenant was sin. Okay, so this is what was not good. It wasn't the law itself. His law is good. Now, what we have here is works of the law. Okay, works of the law are different than the Mosaic Covenant. You know how I said at the very beginning, it's, it's, um, it's confusing when Romans 6.14 says, you're not under the law, but under grace. But Romans 3.31 says, do we not then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The works of the law was a term that Paul used because in the Greek, there was not a term for legalism. Legalism is our trying to earn our way to holy God. Guess what? It's not going to happen. The Mosaic law was built on the same foundation as the Abrahamic covenant was by faith. By faith, they were to be obedient to the law, and that was their salvation. It wasn't their doing. You see, that takes away from God, doesn't it? When we're striving to earn favor, when we're striving to be good enough, that is the works of the law. And then, by the time Jesus came along, these Pharisees had added their own extra extra biblical traditions onto the law, the, the 616 statutes. Okay, so this, this is not good. This is not what God is referring to and the reason that he implemented the, the Mosaic Covenant. Are you guys following me? Okay. Okay, so then Jesus came along here and he bridged the gap between man and holy God. This is Jesus. And I'm going to write Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It is by grace you are saved, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no man can boast. Jesus implemented the new covenant. He says in Luke, the new covenant in my blood, when he was taking the Last Supper. Okay, so the new covenant, I'm going to write it here. Here's the new covenant. And it's going to be represented by a heart. Okay, the new covenant fulfilled the Mosaic covenant. And I'm going to write Galatians 3, 16 through 26, if you guys want to read that. Um, it explains how the Mosaic Covenant was fulfilled through the New Covenant. And then it fulfilled the Abrahamic Covenant. Galatians 3, 16. 
And then the new covenant, in the new covenant, we are grafted into the Abrahamic covenant. Romans 4, 14 through 16. It says, for this reason, it is by faith so that it may be by grace with the result that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are under the law, the Mosaic covenant, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So through the new covenant, we are grafted into the Abrahamic covenant. Now, I want to tell you a story. I was um, I was on my way to PetSmart to take Sumo, my dog, to get groomed. And I try to convince him every single time, like, you're going to the doggy day spa. This is going to be an amazing experience. Enjoy it. But he doesn't buy it. He gets so nervous, he shakes. In fact, when he is in the car, sometimes he's so nervous that he does his business in the car and it's not a fun experience. So I tell my son, I say, Rain, please go out and walk him. So he goes to the bathroom. So I don't have to mess with that in the car. And he, and he did. And he came back and said, mom, I I took sumo um, to go to the bathroom and he's good. We're, We're good to go. We get in the car and I drop the kids off and I start smelling something. And I'm like, man, this is, this is nasty. This is horrible. I start gagging. Um, it's just, it's, it's disgusting. And poor little rogues back there. And he's like, mom, I think we have a problem. And I'm like, yeah, we do buddy. And so I roll the window down and that, by the way, that made it worse. Like it was like, you know, and so I, I quickly rolled the window back down and I'm like, okay, we just got to let it sit. You know, we got to let it be stagnant. Um, we get to PetSmart and I noticed that he'd done his business on the handle of the leash. And I'm like, ugh, you know, all the crevices and cracks, of course. So I take it out, I dump it out. Of course, I don't have wet wipes on hand. They're dry and crusty, of course, naturally. So I'm like trying to wipe it off and it's just not doing the job. And all the while I have the law on my mind and I'm like, yes, like this is like my sin and me trying to wipe it off on my own. And it's just not working. Like I need a brand new leash at this point. Like it's just not coming out. And, um, I did the best I could. I got most of it out and I was walking around the side of the car to get rogue out of the car. And then it hit me. You know what? Like, this is not my sin. It's my righteousness that stinks. Like, he says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And you guys, you ladies know what I'm talking about when I say filthy rags. Like, it's, it is that repulsive to holy God. Not just my sin, but anything good that I try to do is like filthy rags. There is no chance. When God set up the Mosaic Covenant for his people, he, he knew that we wouldn't be able to fulfill that. But he wanted communion and fellowship with us. And so he provided a way. And now that we look back, we see Christ all over it. He was preparing us. But it was still by faith. Don't miss that. The Abrahamic covenant was still by faith. And now Jesus comes. He did what I could not do. He gave me a new leash. Okay, and he bridged the gap 
He implemented from that point on the new covenant that the Old Testament was predicting through Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all over, even Deuteronomy, what the new covenant will be. Now, let me explain the new covenant, okay? Let me explain what we have, ladies. All right, the new covenant, you enter into the new covenant how? Faith alone. There's no adding. There's no cutting the stones on our own. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's not miss this. It says John 6, 28 through 29. So then they said to him, what must we do to accomplish the deeds God requires? Jesus replied, this is the deed God requires to believe in the one whom he sent. This is what he wanted in the Mosaic covenant. Why did he take the people out of Exodus and show him them great and mighty things? He was trying to build their trust. He wanted them to have faith. And he does the same thing through us in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. He says, I'm going to show you Jesus. I'm going to show you how amazing he is and the miracles he's going to perform. And he's going to raise from the dead. And this will be a sign to you that you can trust me, that you can have faith. And so let me just make sure that you guys are clear. It is not by some magic phrase that you guys utter or prayer that you have or attending a church or a Bible study or whatever that you are saved. That, that That is cutting the stone yourself, ladies. He said it is faith alone by grace that you are saved, that you enter into the blessing of the covenant of Abraham. The Mosaic covenant was temporary. In Jeremiah 31, 33 is a key verse. And this was predicting the new covenant that was to come because this is in the Old Testament. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Do you notice he says, I'm going to write the laws, written law on their hearts. And he wants that intimacy. He wants that fellowship with us. I will be their God and they will be my people. And he's provided the Holy Spirit. See, the people could not access God except through the tabernacle, which we'll see later on as we study the tabernacle. But now we have the Holy Spirit that allows us to understand the written law on our hearts. And what is this law? What is this law that we have written on our hearts? It is, is it this? Is it the Ten Commandments? The law is the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Jesus spells it out for you. He says in Romans 13, actually Paul says this. Jesus says in, in uh, Mark 12, 28 through 31, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is going off of Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second one is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this.
So how do we fulfill the law? He wraps it into two things, to, to one thing, to love. The law of love. This is what is written in our hearts, and it encompasses all of the commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love others as yourself. Didn't we see this through the book of the covenant? It was the law of love. And he says, if you do that, you will fulfill the law in obedience. And by the way, it's not what you do. It is the Holy Spirit in you that is going to work it out from inside of you. You are not under the law anymore, under salvation. It is not salvific for you. It is not saving for you. Your obedience is a reflection of my work, the Holy Spirit, inside of you. It is not on us, ladies. And this is the beautiful thing. He's going to work that out. He says in the new covenant that he has given us a new heart. They didn't have that heart back here. When they were trying to do the works of the law to merit salvation, he has given us a new heart and he is changing our heart of stone to what? A heart of flesh through the Holy Spirit. You see, the law can't change what I struggle with, my idols, my affections, the flesh. It says the flesh is against the spirit. The spirit has to be the one to work that out in me. All those things I struggle with. He has to be the one to do that. Romans 7, 4 through 6. This is the key verse. To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. See the law, the written law brings forth death. But now by dying to once bound us, we were a slave to the law. We have been released from the law so that so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. See, we are either yoked to sin in the flesh or we are yoked to the law. And Christ said, I have come to set you free, free from the law and free from sin. So he says, now that we are not under the law, are we free to sin? And Paul said, of course not. Because if we appreciate what Christ did on the cross, then we will not want to turn back towards sin. And the Holy Spirit is doing a work inside of us. Of course not. We are not a slave to sin or a slave to the law. But we have a heart of love, a new heart that Christ is giving and creating within us to bear fruit. Sanctification, to grow us, to change our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And that is freedom, ladies. Freedom to not live under the curse of the law, and to, but to pursue righteousness and intimacy with the Lord out of the deep love and longing of our hearts that has been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the difference between knowing facts 
and having faith. Following the law and following the Lord. Striving to be good and abiding with God. Having a duty and drinking deeply. Feelings of guilt and feelings of grace. Defined by the world or defined by the word. Accepted on merit or accepted by mercy. Slavery to rules or slavery to righteousness. The yoke of sin or the yoke of a savior. Perpetual pleasing or perpetual peace. A process or a person. A barrier or a bridge. Go do or come know. He wanted us to come know from the beginning. From Adam and Eve, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the new covenant. It was about coming. He wanted us to see that he was coming to establish a relationship with us. And he did it all himself. He's been pursuing our hearts all along, ladies. I'm um, giving you all a stone. And um, all of them are shaped in, in the shape of a heart. And they're not perfect hearts. They're unhewn uncut hearts to remind us it is the Lord's doing we can stop striving ladies we can let the Holy Spirit work in us and on it has Ezekiel 36 24 through 28 it says I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I want you guys to take this your stone of remembrance your altar before the Lord that he has done this work in you. And I want to leave you with two verses. Isaiah forty nine sixteen says, See, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. You see, God is saying, Ladies, I have put you in the most vulnerable, innervated part of my whole body. There are more nerve endings in, in the hand than any other place in the whole body. I have engraved you there. I wouldn't want a tattoo there. But he's like, I have, I've put you there in the most sensitive part so I can feel you, so I can know you. The, the place that describes who we are, our fingerprints, our palm, I have put you there. And your walls, those things that you're struggling with, they're ever before me. And then he says in Hebrews 8.10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days with you ladies, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into your mind and write them on your heart and I will be your God, and you will be my people. You see, ladies, he's like, I have you engraved in my hand, and I have put myself in your heart. He loves you. He has pursued you, and he knows us. So every time you read the law, every verse, I want you to think one thing. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for what you've done that we absolutely did not deserve on our own. 
I cannot even comprehend why you would want a relationship with me, but you do. And I am so thankful, God, that it is not up to me, that it is not up to my, my sinful earning or my, my merit or what I can do, Lord, but that you have done it on the cross. Praise you, Lord. And God, I just pray that you would sear these truths, that they would penetrate deeply in us as we go forward, that we know that we are free, that we are free from sin, and that we are free from the yoke of the law, Lord. Thank you for pointing us to Jesus and everything. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. And I'm sorry we went long. I hope you have a good small group.